Thank you, Wayne and Maureen. We'll go ahead and pray, and we'll get into our subject for this evening. Our Father God, as we come to approach your word in a serious message that we have to give tonight, we would pray, God, that we will listen to your word, that you will give me the right words, and that I, what I give is, is accurate and really speaks on what you want taught to us, to each one of us, and how we are to deal with the subject at hand, and also, Father God, to where it brings you glory. We look around, we look around our, our lives, and it hurts to see how your name is blasphemed, but it also hurts to see how sometimes we don't speak up when we should, and we don't bring you glory when we should. We ask that uh, you not only give us the strength to do it, but the wisdom to be able to do it in the appropriate way. We thank you that you're a loving God. We especially thank you you're a forgiving God. But at the same time, we ask for a little bit of discipline, Father God, when it comes to teaching your word and when it comes to hearing and when it comes to obedience. We just ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's going to be a couple of odd things, and I'm going to explain it to you so you know. Um, Andy's going to read not once but twice uh, this evening, and I'm going to ask him to come up here and speak into the microphone. The reason for that isn't so that the neighbors can hear, but we are recording these, and I know I listened on the recording online, and you, you, hear, you don't get to hear Andy's wisdom and wonderful reading voice, so he will be up here a couple different times, so... Don't think that he's rushing the stage and taking things over. He's doing exactly what he should be doing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, another thing I want to point out, this is probably a good time to do it. Uh, many years ago, Ann and I, when we first moved from Southern California, we were moving up to actually Santa Monica, which is also Southern California. But we went to a church in Oceanside. We were saved there. And some very, very well-meaning people gave us this book. And a couple things about it, you can see all the things that are written in here. And they're, they're really loving people. We were the new Christians, and they wanted to make sure that, that we stayed in God's word and that we had another book to be able to refer to. It's called The Kingdom of the Colts. And um, I'm going to mention the same thing I did uh, last week about it. I think this is a wonderful resource if you want to get some kind of information on some of the cults. But at the same time, I would suggest you don't spend too much time in a book like this. That you do it um, maybe to pick up a little information and all, but you can get twisted. And you know it gets complicated, and then before you know it, you're going, let's see, is that how we believe, or is that how the Jehovah Witness believe, and on and on. And it can get kind of confusing. So I'm not saying we're to be ignorant, what's going on, but don't get engrossed in it uh, too much. Now, the sad, the sad thing is almost every person who's signed in here are individuals that we were incredibly close to. I mean, very, very close to. And I was showing Ann today that at least 65 to 70% of them are not walking with the Lord today. And I was thinking about today. Here we are, and we love each other. And I'll have to tell you, one of the responsibilities we have is to keep ourselves on target, focused on truth, and being supportive. 
So instead of worrying about uh, why doesn't Roman comb his hair a different way, I'd feel more comfortable with it, or why doesn't Gary have any hair at all, instead of worried about those things, we'll worry on godly things and what's there. Today we're going to be talking about tonight, what are we to do with false teaching? Because I think there's confusion out there. I think that there's confusion of our brothers and sisters and maybe yourself on what should we do when we run into false teaching. And so uh, we'll start with a little thing about a quote from R.C. Sproul. He once said, when God says something, the argument is over. I love that quote, but you all know that I always kind of like the quotes that sound a little mean, but it's not a mean quote. This is a loving quote. And when you think about it, a false teacher takes his depraved mind and adjusts God's word and intent to match what is advantageous to the teacher and what is advantageous to Satan's evil mission. And if I do my job tonight correctly, you're going to see I'm not exaggerating. Now, false teaching Make no mistake about it, false teaching is from the pit. Doesn't matter how nice the person is on there, doesn't matter how good their smile is, doesn't even matter if, well, I like two-thirds of what they say. False teaching is dangerous. It's also very dangerous today because of TV and also because of the internet. And false teaching, and I have, I have a friend that is really getting into some other teachers that ran on, on, across on the internet but I see his walk with the Lord is suffering now. And so I'm going to be pleading with you on some of this, and I'm also going to be pretty direct. So if you keep that dynamic in mind, that on what R.C. said, when God says something, the argument is over. And I'm going to ask Andy, if he would, to come up and read our text. This will be the first time you get to see Andy. Thanks, Andy. Uh, didn't know I was going to stand up in front Dog hair is love. Uh, how far do you want me to go on this? Uh, one through five. One through five. Oh, on first and the first verse. Yeah. Chapter four. And I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by the hypocrisy of liars who have been seared in their own conscience, who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God created to be shared with in thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So with these words and what we're going to be addressing today, Paul returns this time in a harsher manner than just a few weeks ago, but he's making a big circle and coming back to false teaching. Now, why do you think he's circling back and addressing false teaching? Obviously, it was a problem in the church that he's addressing. Obviously, Timothy did not do the job he needed to do, and so if Timothy thinks, uh, or if Paul thought he needed to return Timothy and the church to it, we're going to return to, and we're going to look at it in a little bit deeper light. 
Paul has a well-founded concern about the destructive impact that the apostates uh, and the problems that they were causing in the church may have on believers, the, the impact they have on believers. And remember, in the church, we have to remember there are all sorts of levels of Christian maturity, and it doesn't come with age. Um, I have seen some very young individuals who are very, very wise in the Lord's word, and I have seen some people, and believe it or not, there's one or two that are older than me, that they weren't so wise. And so we kind of wonder how dangerous is this apostate teaching. An apostate is someone who once believed and then rejects the truth of God. So keep that definition in mind. That's important to keep that in mind. Apostasy isn't an unintended withdrawal or an individual struggling with doubt. These are people that had truth, found other beliefs, and left the truth. I'm sure you can think of some that would fit into there. It is deliberately abandoning truth for erroneous teaching. This was experienced during Jesus' ministry as well. In John 6, 60 through 66, you may want to go back and read this because this is amazing, this part. And even though you may have heard it, really listen to it. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? This is rebuke. It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. I think Roman kind of brought that up this morning, didn't he, about the Judas. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Can you imagine intentionally walking away after being in the physical presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, wow. And his teaching, which, by the way, I know I'm near perfect, but his teaching was a little better than mine because everything he said, absolutely truth. Absolute truth. And yet, people were walking away. The apostate church of the last day, and by the way, the last days being what we call the church age or where we are now, when you see that in the Bible, at least in the New Testament, will embrace false doctrines and believe deceiving spirits and hold to a false, destructive faith. By the way, usually that faith, if you think about it, is usually based on self. Almost every time, and I'm just saying that from experience, when I tell you those individuals that were strong church members that walked away, almost every time it was selfishness. And undeniably, the false teachers' epi um, epidemic weighed heavily on Paul's mind and was a priority on Timothy's take action to-do list. Paul was not overreacting. 
In fact, it's fair to say Paul was a bit passive to check back and making sure Timothy was diligently carrying out his Ephesian ministry and responsibilities properly. Keep in mind, when Paul originally assigned Timothy to the Ephesus church, Timothy was to oversee, this is what he was told to do, oversee and demand that sound teaching was a top priority for the large church. Once realizing Timothy had not dealt effectively with the heresy, Paul must have experienced a whole lot of frustration, disappointment, and Timothy is likely feeling defeated. Paul's approach up to this point, however, was in a supportive and informed demeanor versus taking Timothy out to the woodshed. However, Paul now turns up the heat by warning Timothy and the church sternly that false teaching is a destructive formula for having some church attendees get confused and even wooed away from the truth by deceitful teaching. What is the blessing that we have? This pulpit back here gives clear teaching. That is a gift from God to have that. Teaching, like what we're doing tonight, and teaching like from the pulpit that we get from Roman every week, is not meant to confuse people. It's meant to help clarify, if we can, God's word and bringing glory to the Lord. 2 Timothy 4.3 says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Sound like today? Just like today, the Ephesian church is in much need of, of constantly hearing truth and solid teaching. And they were hearing in this church, they were hearing when Timothy would teach, solid teaching. They'd hear from some other teachers, and it was false teaching. Can you imagine the confusion in that big church? I mean, those poor people were innocently put into a pretty awkward position. Because of the false teaching that was polluting the church, a mature group of believers would have a hard time encouraging each other in the faith. Note, this faith we are discussing here is addressing the body of Christ doctrine, that kind of faith, not the act of believing. So there's a lot of confusion. 1 John 4, 6 says, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we're supposed to be able to notice what the spirit of error is. Matthew 17, 15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. It's a cute little saying. What disastrous message. The false teachers are defined as, get this, ferocious, devouring, covetousness, gluttonous, and predatory. Jesus is, Jesus is often depicted as a shepherd. Protecting his flock from evil. This basic imagery grew more intensified to believers in the first century since the wolf was the symbol of pagan Romans' founding, the culture in which Jesus lived and preached. It was not long before the wolf became a symbol of evil, a threat to those in Christ's flock. So this is a very, very serious warning. Very serious. Why did he come back? Because he knew he wanted to address it even more sternly. He wanted to address and make it very clear to everyone, this is serious. 
Paul was right to raise the warning intensity of false teachers to those in the Ephesian church, much like is found elsewhere in scriptures. Here's another one, Matthew 24, 24. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, believe it or not. Because it tells me those are the elect. We will not be deceived. And that is a promise from God. However, what that is is we need to be due diligence constantly searching the scriptures. When we hear something, whether it's from somebody we trust, somebody we don't trust, somebody we don't know anything about, we go back and do what the Bereans did. And what they do? They went back and checked in the word. And you want to be disciplined that you do that. If you hear even a little bit that doesn't quite sound like it's true teaching, check into it. Take it seriously. We want to be able to address it. It's important that we here at Ranchview Baptist Church take seriously. Hey, guess what, Roman? I think I got the name right finally of our church. Did you see that? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> take seriously that we have an obligation to protect each other from false teaching. We all meet every Sunday. We meet, and one of the things we're to do is to look out for others. Because every week, we go back out into the world. And if you sense that one of us who worships here is getting out of line, do them a loving favor and let them know it. Behind the scenes of false teaching are fallen angels. Who are fallen angels? Devils. Satan's army. Seducing vulnerable people from the truth into eternal hell. That's their goal. Their goal is not to make them feel better so that they have a happier life and they have their better life now. I haven't found that in the Bible yet, that we're supposed to have our better life now. And I praise God for that, don't you? God calls people to himself through the, through the truth of the gospel, and Satan's mission is to lure people away from the truth with his evil lies. We don't fear our spiritual warfare enough. We do not have to fear Satan. We do not have to fear the devils. We do not have to fear false teachers. But we are to be wise. And the only way we can be wise is spending time in God's word. Spending time in God's word is not, you come here Sunday morning and we listen and somebody reads to us and then Roman gives us a text he's going to be covering, and then you go, great, I've got the word for the week, check. It's not the intent. Not the intent of why that's given on Sunday mornings. It's given to us on Sunday mornings. One of the reasons why is to show that what is taught here in truth and where it comes from. It comes from God's word. It was Walter Martin who, by the way, the one that I mentioned, and again, I'm going to put just a little caution, don't turn to him for total Christian doctrine if you're doing reading. Uh, he had a few messages, but I happen to believe that he was blessed by God and the church has been by his teachings on the cults. I find it very, very helpful. But again, I would not go to turn to him for total understanding of the salvation message, for instance. 
But here's what Walter Martin said. A biblical false prophet was a servant of the devil attempting to lead people away from the truth. Plain and simple. Not to make you feel better. I hate to tell you this. Satan and his minions don't care at all about me and you. Except they don't want us following the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. By reviewing the foundation of some of the cults that are around today, it will become obvious to you that many of their beliefs are based primarily on one or two false prophets. It's amazing when I looked into this a little bit. For instance, and by the way, uh, if I offend you and you have a, 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 you know, a loved one who's in some, one of the cults I'm going to mention, I'll be happy to talk to you after why I would classify them as a cult. But if I didn't cover this, I wouldn't be fair to you tonight. So Jehovah Witness, for the most part, followed their interpretation of Charles T. Russell and J.F. Rutherford. Those are the two people, basically. The Christian scientist followers rely on the misguided interpretation of Mary Baker Eddy. As John MacArthur stated many years ago, Christian scientists aren't Christians, and they aren't scientists. So we need to understand, we need to address them differently, out of love with truth. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormons, turned to the interpretations of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Mormons generally consider the Book of Mormon, the Book of Doctrines and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price as inspired books. And then what they do is they take the Bible and mix them all together. Therefore, compromising God's truth. And in reality, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, when you mix God's truth with anything, the Bible loses. When you take the authority away from God and say, it's the Bible plus, you get a false doctrine. The Unity Church, School of Christianity, excuse me, the Unity, Unity School of Christianity, or Unity Church, follows the theology of Charles and Myrtle Fillmore. Sometimes we're baffled at what to say when we come across a neighbor or friend who's been entangled in a cult. Sometimes they're really uncomfortable. They come to our door. They come in to dinner because we happen to have family members who are involved with these cults. What do we do? When people say, I believe in Jesus, look them straight in the eye and ask them, which one? That's where you will find a major crux and difference in all the ones that I mentioned before and in ones I didn't mention. False teachers are no surprise to Jesus. Uh, Andy, I'm going to have you read here in a second. Listen how direct and with low tolerance, low tolerance, our Lord has had and has today. Low tolerance. It's not very political correct, is it? With the topic of false teaching. Now listen what Andy reads here. from Matthew chapter 7 we go to verse 15 end of the Sermon on the Mount or close to it beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing 
but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name we did we not prophesy? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name do many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I told you a few minutes ago what one of my favorite verses was. This one is the one that scares me more than anything. You know, when I read things that are going to happen in the future, and all, you know, I, I trust in the Lord for that. He'll, he'll take care of that. What bothers me is it says, you and I are in a battle. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think we live that way. I don't think that when we get up in the morning that, that as a rule we ask Jesus to give us strength and protection because we need it. And by the way, if you think, nah, yeah, I don't think Satan bothers me much. It's just me and what does that matter? Then I'm going to suggest, oh, he's been very busy with you because what he wants to do is have you not understand what is going on. Look, these words that we're going over tonight are ornery. They're mean. By the way, they're life and death issues. Keep in mind, it's likely many of the followers, perhaps even some of your family and friends of these false religions, are sincere about finding the deep and legitimate needs of the human spirit, even though they are stuck in the weeds of false teaching, including attempting to fulfill the desire to save oneself apart from ac accurate Bible revelation. Now, we all have family members that we've made this following statement or thought about in the past. If they weren't my, whatever you fill in the blank, I'd never hang out with them. But you know, God has assigned us families, friends, neighbors, the number one reason why is he wants us to evangelize them. That's the number one reason. And you're going to go, oh, Gary, you don't understand my mother. You don't understand my brother. You don't understand my cousin. No, but I do understand our Lord. And I do believe he's powerful enough to impact family members. Nowhere in the Bible do I see that it says, all the people that you like, evangelize and tell them about me. No, Jesus says we're to tell everyone the good news. Our outreach to those under false teaching is not to make the followers feel like they're fools. And I think we sometimes try to do that. Well, I haven't go, God's word doesn't even say that. I can't believe you believe that. 
is probably not one of the top ways to evangelize. Yet our loving behavior can't tolerate or leave unchallenged false teaching when we come across it. But we do want to make it clear that all roads that lead to God are not good. And they're not accurate. And they're not capable of saving our souls. Now, I might say, to make it clear, that God was with a small g. Right? There is one true gospel. Oh, we have a closed-minded Lord. One. There's not three. There's not four. There's not 50. One. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Mark 1.15. Period. We want to point out individuals who are misled by false teachers and why. Our comments today or tonight are being said in love with the truth that is grounded on biblical Christianity or scripture alone. Very important. The teachings that were taught by the apostles, defended by the church fathers, rediscovered by the reformers, and what is known today as reformed theology. That is the process of God's truth over time. We must be aware of the spirit of today, which is uh, very strong, isn't it, as we prepare ourselves on how we might respond to false teaching moments. We're living in a time where worldly wisdom says we should play down the things that divide us and emphasize those things which brings unity. Devils lie. Devils lie. As believers, truth is not to be compromised for unity's sake. Now, I'm not saying... We're going around trying to pick fights all the time, but we don't stagger from the truth. Another subtle reality is cults and false teachers take advantage of many Christians' inability to properly deal with the art of redefining words. Please listen to this. Redefining words prior to discussing the realm of biblical theology. Very good friend of mine, very bright friend of mine, from a human standpoint, says he and I are about the same. He's in the Mormon church. Gary, you love family. We really believe in the same values. My response has to be back to him is, we are so far apart, you wouldn't believe it. We believe in Jesus. But like the question I asked earlier, which one? The Jesus of the Bible or the Jesus who is really Satan's brother? Which is what one of the cults teaches. False teachers change definitions of biblical words and then they start intertwining doctrine and most Christians can't deal with that. They almost go away saying, well, I think they might have even been saved. They're just a little bit misdirected. No, this is Satan at your door if they came to the door, they are coming to your door for one thing, to steal truth from you and fill it with lies. Isn't that what it said in Timothy when you read it? That's what they're doing. 
But Gary, they're so nice. I don't want to give them five minutes with my kids and my wife. Not if they're coming to the door to take away truth and fill that void. When you hold to and use the proper definitions, this is you, you rob the cult follower of two advantages, surprise and confusion. By the way, some Christians, many Christians are afraid to even talk to cults because they're afraid they'll get trapped. God's word tells us, don't worry, just tell truth. Just tell truth. I'll give you wisdom, tell truth, but that doesn't mean we drop our guard and we get sloppy. If somebody came to your door with a gun, hi, I'm Gary, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great, come on in, let me get you some coffee, some donuts. You go, yeah, sure, Gary, of course you're not going to do that. What they're doing is far worse. All that that person with a gun can do is take your physical life. If you're a true believer in Christ, that's not a concern. That's not a problem. But they are coming there to steal your soul so that you'll burn in hell forever, whether they realize it or not. That's what they're doing. Remember George Orwell's book? Are you all too young for that one? 1984 points out the redefinition of common political terms can become trick terminology, which is a powerful propaganda weapon. And that's what the cults have done to truth. We regularly see the redefinition practice from false teachers and even from some politicians today. That book, The Kingdom of the Cults, points out many false teachers and cults have borrowed words, phrases, and complete thoughts liberally from the Bible. They'll say the same thing that make you feel comfortable. I heard Roman use those words last week. But almost always it's out of context and sprinkle their format, the cultist format, with evangelistic cliches and terms when possible or to its false teaching advantage. I know Jesus. Drop your guard. I believe in a uh, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Drops your guard. Watch out. That's a wolf out there. And they're not done telling you what it all means. Remember that when you encounter a disillusioned cult or false teacher follower, they're familiar with our terminology. They know our terminology. They've stolen it. And they have carefully redefined those terms to fit their system or thoughts that he or she now embraces. You'll hear terms like, listen to these words, God, Christ, love, tolerance, forgiveness, the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, we drop our guard. And this is a good one. The out-of-context perversion of James, faith without works is dead. They love that one. But it's out of context. If you don't know the context of that in James, that's an area we need to understand fully. Because in two minutes, I can talk you into why works matter. 
I can talk you into why you can't be saved without works if I pull this out of context. They will also throw in verses and say they believe the same as you do, but as we said earlier, their definition is not accurate with historical and biblical concepts. Keep an eye out on surface or double meaning that lead one astray from truth. We have a warning about this in 2 Peter 3.16. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. It's a war. It's a verbal war. It's a mental war. It is a, in a sense, a knowledgeable war. You interpret it your way and I'll interpret it my way. Ever heard that? Which, you know what that really is saying? My truth is equal to your truth. Devils lie when it comes to false teaching. Remember the false teaching that was going around in 1 Timothy had to do with the importance of works. And also, apparently, which we're going to hear, also had to do with marriage and certain foods. And on and on and on it goes. Bury you under that stuff so you're no longer under the freedom of Christ. By the way, when it says you interpret it your way and I interpret it mine, doesn't make either consideration truth without the Bible as a foundation. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. What in the world does that mean, Gary? Let the Bible interpret the Bible? I learned that early on. If you stand on a certain truth, do the best you can to find verses that will back up that truth. So that instead of one, you have three, four, five, or more verses, which in almost every kind of doctrine you can. I think maybe the hardest might be the, the Trinity, but not really. Not if you interpret what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, the Trinity is quite clear in the Bible. We live in an age where society won't tolerate an absolute standard. That's why they hate the Bible. Because we say it's God's word. The world does not want to hear God has control of their life, and that's what they're going to find in the Bible that we are to be obedient to him. The world doesn't want to be obedient. Frankly, you and I don't want to be obedient a lot of times. I remember when John MacArthur was back in, back in the 80s. I know I'm 25, but back in the 80s, John MacArthur went into this thing of lordship. Oh my goodness. The evangelical community exploded absolutely exploded and it was so fascinating for me to watch what was going on here John MacArthur's a heretic he believes in works doctrine because you have to be obedient it's amazing because people didn't take the time to study God's word he did how do I know that because when I'd hear his teaching I'd dig into the Bible again to make sure that when he would quote all the verses like I have tonight, are they accurate? Are they being used correctly? It takes hard work. I had too many little minds in my house. Eleven of them. I don't know if a couple of them had a mind, but I had eleven. <laughs> and I had to be careful that, that when they're friends 
or Colts somehow reached out to them. They knew how to deal with them. That was my responsibility. And it's your responsibility to do it for your loved ones. What makes your way the right way? What makes our way the right way? Convenience? Remember our opening R.C. Sproul quote? When God says something, the argument's over. So God's word is. It's his word, the Bible. The Bible says it. I love this. Listen to me carefully because you're going to think I'm going to say something else. God said it. I don't have to believe it. But that pretty much settles it. Whether I believe it or not, whether you believe it or not, that's in your hands. Although really it's in God's, but that's really in your hands. But you don't have to believe it for it to be true. But do you have passion? Do you have a fire for God's word? Or is that just the book we carry once a week here to church? Or is it total truth? And is your life surrounded around that instead of the world? We all get caught up in the world. We're to be in the world, but we're not to be what? Of the world. Big difference. So we see that Paul has warned Timothy in the church that false teaching will fill the earth. Fill the earth. And with 1 Timothy, Paul could, he could really just go and take this to a copy machine, if you all remember those. Or he could put in an email and give us to us today all the things he's warning the church about. So far, I haven't seen anything in 1 Timothy that I don't go, that's alive and well today. It's serious business teaching God's word and requires careful presentation for accuracy and truth. People's souls are at stake and faithful preaching of truth is absolutely essential. Now back to our main text. 1 Timothy 4.3. This is weird. Who forbids marriage and requires abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. As we wrap up here tonight, I hope you caught this when it was read earlier. What was going on here? Paul points out here only a sample of what apostate teachers falsely proclaim unfounded restrictions. And you know what? Your ego and my ego like restrictions. Because when we fulfill them, we think we've done something. Satan is so sly. He knows how to get to your pride. He knows how to get to our weaknesses. He knows how to get our attention. So these teachers came in, gave all these things you aren't supposed to do. Imagine the confusion when the people were being told they couldn't marry and they needed to abstain from foods. Colossians 2, 16 through 23, if you're one who likes to go back and check, go see what that says. Even though these foods were a gift from God, false teachers were stealing gifts from God to us, to the believers back at the Ephesian church. Satan loves to interject and attempt to take away things where God has graciously given his people freedom to enjoy. He loves to get in the middle of all that. 
Satan wants confusion and demands confusion within God's people and their lifestyle. When we get confused because of our lack of knowledge of God's truth, lack of knowledge of God's word, that's where we get in trouble. False teachers love to place false self-denial requirements, give the, the perception of spirituality. Who aren't we holy? I've been eating spinach for three weeks. Gave it up for Lent. Did that when I was a kid. Then my mom caught me, and then I had to give up candy. So, But those requirements aren't capable to help us attain holiness. We do not get holiness that way. Holiness comes to us beside ourselves. God gives us the way to be able to live a holier life, not by keeping the Ten Commandments, although that's not bad keep the Ten Commandments. But that's not how we get holy. Holy is a revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit. If you want to get his job description. It's one of the things that it does. False teaching occults establish do's and don'ts that are ultimately based on human achievement, which is like, the Bible tells us, filthy rags. And in front to Jesus' work on the cross. Christianity truth acknowledges that Jesus alone provides the way of salvation. False religion many times suggests we've got to do it ourselves by self-denial and human achievement. Now as we see, 1 Timothy 4.4 says, For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with our responsibility as light. Don't fall asleep yet. We're almost done. We are to be thankful to our Lord. Thankful for what he's given us. And we have the freedom to enjoy out of thankfulness. My job, your job, is to be thankful for God ongoing. To be praying to him in thanksgiving for all that he has given us. By the way, the translated word good loss, means inherently excellent. Everything God has made is inherently excellent. But false teachers, and even us, can mess it up. I love that word, those two words, inherently excellent, what he gives us. That's better than Santa Claus. Not bad, giving you gifts that are inherently excellent. Marriage and food that was being prohibited by false teachers are inherently good and should not be rejected but gratefully accepted by me and you. So, quickly, verse 5. 1 Timothy 4, 5 says, For it is made holy, here it is, it is made holy because of us. No, it's not where this is going. It is made holy by the word of God and prayer made holy by the word of God in prayer. Lord, I'm disobedient. I have sin in my life. Get on our knees. Ask him to make our lives more holy. Don't keep pushing sin back. Don't, don't be going, I'm saved, so I don't have to worry about this sin. Turn to him and turn to his word in prayer. By the way, the word of God 
in the pastoral epistles, when you hear the word of God, and we're actually going to end with this, refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you see it in the epistles that were written that are called the pastoral epistles, let's see, that'd be Timothy, Titus, there's one more. What am I leaving out, Roman? What am I leaving out on the epistles that were the pastoral epistles? And there's one more I can't remember. Philemon? I don't think so. There's one more. Maybe that's it. Maybe Timothy has too. So whenever we hear the word of God in those epistles, it is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is really focused on our salvation. The message of salvation clarifies that all the dietary laws have been abolished. They're gone. Salvation is in Christ alone. And guess how I'm going to end? What a gospel and what a God. We are so blessed. Shall we pray? Our Father God, we are one sense there is confusion, Lord, as we see what's happening in the world. The kind of teaching that we see being offered is your teaching, but we know that it's not. And even some of the things we believe that is not really your teaching. We pray that each person here, God, will turn more to your word, more than they're doing now, not out of a sense of, I really should do this, but out of a hunger for truth, hunger for being more obedient, and a hunger for wanting to tell others about your salvation plan. We pray for those loved ones that we know who are caught up in these cults. We also pray, God, that you give us wisdom on what to say and how to bring it up lovingly, but also sternly when needed be, so that you are, God, you are put on the right pedestal where you belong as the only way, the only truth, and the only eternal life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.